of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 543. It's me and Jason today, and we are going to go back on the 90s. The first time we did an episode regarding the 90s was episode 123, 123. The 90s is kind of a big deal because in some ways it's almost the last remnants of what it used to mean to live in so-called America. It is a marker as all decades are. And Jason and I have tried to show that there is intent behind the so-called flavor of a decade. Why is it that in 89 looks and feels and music and you know cultural things stop on a dime and become something else? Well, it's because of social engineering. And the 90s is unique as it stands as the last decade before the open assault that we call 9-11. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a very lovely good morning. It is a beautiful day here. It is the 4th. We've got to get recorded, and I'm going to take the internet down. And I guess I should be clear. I've talked about not participating in the test that's going on today. It's not about fear. It's not about stopping anything. It's about announcing my intent that I'm not participating in this. Maybe I can't stop even getting the text, maybe any of that, but I will. I will put my phone in a Faraday cage. I will turn it off for hours. Uh, I will let my intent be known that I don't choose to participate in this. What's it stopping? Not much of anything, if you want to be honest about it. And I just want to make it clear that it's not because I'm afraid something's going to happen, or that's not really the reason that I've talked about it. Anyhow, anything you want to add before we jump into an extended breakdown of the 90s? Well, we'll see how many emails we get and how many people we offend when we get to uh, the musical aspect of it, which will be in the second half. Well, people should realize that, you know, I say at first when I began to talk about music, I got a lot of poison pen letters. It's I'm not trying to down anyone's music. I have equally downed the music that I have grown up with. And when I say downed, it's just because I know what it was used for. And I know that the biggest of the big bands and things that culturally changed the world, they were social engineering attempts. And I guess we shouldn't even call them attempts because it worked a dream, most of it. But anyhow, let's get in and we'll uh, we'll go out as we can. To discuss the 1990s, it seems important to discuss and point out the general aspects of the previous decade of the 1980s. These two decades will end up having very contrasting aspects to them. The mainstream says that the 1980s saw a dominance of conservatism and free market economics and a socioeconomic change due to advances in technology and a worldwide move away from planned economies and towards laissez-faire capitalism compared to the 1970s. The 1970s was the decade where they began the serious wealth stripping of the United States and other Western economies. As this economic deconstruction increased in the developed world, multiple multinational corporations associated with the manufacturing industry relocated into China, Mexico, South Korea, Taiwan, and Thailand. Japan and West Germany saw large economic growth during this decade. The HIV-AIDS epidemic narrative was launched with claims of approximately 40 million people having died from it. The climate narrative was flipped from the 1970s, where all of the scientific evidence said that we were going into another ice age, to a global warming narrative, complete with holes in the ozone layer because you used too many cans of hairspray. Overall, however, the 1980s are seen as a great big party that lasted nearly the entire decade. As we have explored many times before, that narrative would shift very, very quickly as the decade flipped into the 1990s. It's almost like someone or two someones pounded on the brakes of the party bus. Uh, It came to a screeching halt. And for those not old enough to have been alive or sufficiently aged to appreciate what the 80s were, uh, you can look back, you can see the colors bright and everything was overt. And I don't know, happy is a good way, but over happy, weird happy. But nonetheless, from my lifetime, the biggest party that I had ever seen. And that did come screeching to a big, big halt. Now, the climate change thing is another one of these very, very tricky in the way they implemented it things. 
if you want to be honest, climate change is in fact happening. It's always happening. For there have been an ice age or any other supposed difference in our world climate, then that would be the proof in the pudding. What's going on with this one is it's going to be used. If we continue down the road, we are, and we get to social ratings and things like this. Uh, I have read documents that say things like, oh, you can't buy that plane ticket. You've used too many things that create global warming. That's where this is going. And for people who say climate change isn't real, how can you say that? Everything is always changing. In the same way that the microcosm shows us that we're going to have a warm part of the year, a hot part of the year, a cold, a freezing part, the macro is really no different. Yeah, the world changes. The problem is, is that this one's going to be used for an agenda. Other than that, and I don't know what you remember, you were 10 years younger than I was, Jason, but when I look back at how the 90s felt, it was like this muted gray, almost sad tone is the overall feeling that I recall. And that was coming off the 80s, but everything changed. All those neon colors and the the happy music from the 80s, all of it changed. What did we go? We went to muted colors, music that was overtly sad. Uh, how do you remember the 90s? Your, your 90s in, in the scope of your lifetime would have been equivalent to probably my 80s. Right. That's exactly correct. I graduated high school in 1991. So I was getting out of high school at 18 years old, right when this transition was occurring, going from the days of the hairspray and all that kind of stuff into the grunge era. And I didn't like it because it was such a stark, drastic change. And I remember like being out and all the girls started looking different. Girls, when I was in high school, were always trying to dress up and just always look really good and I don't know if you'd say outdo each other, but they definitely, definitely tried to put themselves out there as like, hey, look at me. I look good, don't I? In the 90s, once the grunge thing hit, all of a sudden this dressed down. I definitely remember things like everybody cutting their hair off and being very androgynous. I, I could not stand it. You know, the, the music, I, I don't, I think you probably remember what year they made such a big deal when Metallica cut their hair. I think it was. Kurt Cobain, there was some unplugged event that went on, and I think Kurt Cobain or one of that band held up a sign mocking uh, Metallica for having cut their hair, who I believe was in the audience. But it was a dressing down, uh, all the bright colors just gone. I think that was later on with Alice in Chains. Uh, I'm not sure, but it wasn't Nirvana because Kurt Cobain was dead by then. He died in 94. By the time Metallica cut their hair? I'm fairly certain. I think that was 95, but I could be wrong. Boy, I must be suffering from the 70s because I really do remember uh, the band being Kurt Cobain's band. Maybe I am wrong, but I think a sign was held up. It was an unplugged event, if I remember, for probably MTV. Anyhow, uh, it's neither here nor there. Let's, uh, let's keep moving. Before we step foot into the 1990s, there is one event that should be addressed that occurred at the very end of the decade of the 1980s which set much of the tone for the decade to follow. This event is the fall of the Berlin Wall, which occurred on November 9, 1989. It took place during a time called the Peaceful Revolution. This is considered a pivotal event in modern world history, which marked the destruction of the Berlin Wall and the figurative Iron Curtain. It was one of the series of events that started the fall of communism in Central and Eastern Europe that was preceded by the Solidarity Movement in Poland. The fall of the inner German border took place shortly afterwards. An end to the Cold War was declared at the Malta summit three weeks later, and the German reunification took place in October the following year. Isn't it interesting about perception and geography? Where I was, what I remember, is David Hanselmhoff uh, in a coat covered in light bulbs, I think, singing at the Berlin Wall. It had become like this weird concert event. Uh, I'm guessing the people who lived there had a very different view of what was going on. 
But what more do we need to do than what we typically do? Is there an association here? Well, November 9 would be 11, 9, and 89 works out to 9 because you drop the large rotation number. So it would be 11, 9, 9, or basically 9, 11 both ways, uh, November 9, 1989. I remember this so well, but it came off where I was as almost like an MTV event. And by the way, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Pink Floyd get in on it uh, with some of the final runs of their album, The Wall, where they were breaking a wall? And as we think about that, you almost have to wonder, I guess Pink Floyd would be counted in the British evasion. But was there any intent in the writing of The Wall to somehow be tied to that? I don't know. I'm just thinking openly. Yeah, Roger Waters was there. I believe that was in 1990. Do you feel like there's some connection? Because if I remember correctly, they had shows where, what was it? Did they fly a plane in over the audience to hit the wall? I mean, that echoes a couple things, if that's if that's correct. No, I don't necessarily think that. I just know that David Hasselhoff was key to saving the world. Of course. He's so handsome. How could it be any other way? That was probably near the height of, of Baywatch, but I don't remember. You know, I have an interesting story which I typically don't talk about people. But when I was a roadie, basically a third of the year is rock shows or music shows in general. And a third of the year or something like that was more theater based where you would go work in, do plays and other things at uh, theaters. And then roughly a third of the year, it was like conventions where you might go set up and do things for the plastic surgeons convention or something like that, or the gas companies. But I did one at the San Diego Convention Center where David Hasselhoff was supposed to come sing on the stage I was. And the stage manager kept coming up to all the roadies saying, have you seen Hasselhoff? If you see him, get on the radio. We need to put someone on him. And we thought that's weird. And then eventually we heard that he has a history of showing up events and then taking off before he's supposed to be there. Lo and behold, he comes and he's really quite a stunning character when you see him. He like he stands out. He is, I don't know, he's almost like someone genetically made a superhuman. It just it's really bizarre when you see someone like that that you've been watching on TV. He's tall, he's above everyone in the audience. He really does look the part in real life. Anyhow, his wife, I think it was, was with him. Now, eventually, people realize that where's Hasselhoff and they start talking about it and everyone's scrambling and they're worried because he's supposed to be on singing in some short amount of time. Well, he sent his wife in and it turns out he did exactly what they were worried about. Uh, He just bailed and did not show up for the gig and left him hanging, which is neither here nor there. But I always remember that story. And I just think it's rather funny how famous people don't hold up their end sometimes. So let's start our discussion on the 1990s out with a bang, with the Hubble Space Telescope. The mainstream has this to say. The Hubble Space Telescope is a space telescope that was launched into low Earth orbit on April 24, 1990, and remains in operation to this day. It was not the first space telescope, but it is one of the largest and most versatile, renowned both as a vital research tool and as a public relations boon for astronomy. The Hubble Telescope is named after astronomer Edwin Hubble and is one of NASA's great observatories. The Space Telescope Science Institute selects Hubble's targets and processes the resulting data, while the Goddard Space Flight Center controls the spacecraft. Hubble was originally scheduled to be launched several years earlier, but was significantly delayed due to the Space Shuttle Challenger incident. So this is weird. So I get my first telescope in and around, as a matter of fact, exactly when the comet Hale-Bopp is in the sky. Am I getting that wrong? I hope I got the right comet. I'll have to look it up. I think it was Hale-Bopp. And I will always remember because when I got my magical new telescope on it, it was the biggest letdown. And to use binoculars was infinitely better view of a comet, which was well known. But at that time, everyone was leaving optical telescopes. It was like hip to do all these other types of telescope work that was not optical. And it's ironic to me that, you know, Jason points out that they have this telescope. People dial into it from all over the world, waiting for their time on it. What do they get back? Data. 
they got to re- process the resulting data. But here's the thing. If I am correct about the Hubble Space Telescope, it was never in space. Nothing leaves our little enclosed environment from my point of view. There is another telescope that fits almost exactly the same specs that is on an airplane. I don't remember the name. Maybe it's Sophia. I forget the name of the airplane that is almost identical to the Hubble. And so I did episodes in the past where we surmised that likely the imagery was coming from that. But the truth is the imagery that gets done there is so processed, it could probably be generated at any sufficiently large, well-placed telescope. As a matter of fact, currently amateur telescopes have changed to such a degree that it is no longer you get this optical tube, set it up and look through it. Everything is digital and controlled and it's like a whole other thing now. But what the amateur astronomers are doing, and I was going to do an episode on this, is they take these pictures that are gorgeous because it is so easy to do now. Used to be a lot of work. Now you just click off a million pictures, you can stack it. But what they're doing is they're processing what they get in a way to be a beautiful image. They're removing stars. They're literally doing things like selecting every star, removing it as they process, putting the stars back in they want. And it is so kind of frustrating because at the level they can image now, 100 years from now, those would be very valuable images, except what's going on is everyone's apparently culturally been led in the direction of we make beautiful pictures. Uh, The reality of it is out the window. And I just state all this because the Hubble Space Telescope is a put-up. By the way, it came out of the gate needing glasses. I kid you not. On August 2nd, 1990, the first Gulf War begins. This was an armed conflict between Iraq and a 42-country coalition led by the United States. The coalition's efforts against Iraq were carried out in two key phases. Operation Desert Shield, which marked the military buildup from August 1990 to January 1991, and Operation Desert Storm, which began with the aerial bombing campaign against Iraq on January 17, 1991, and came to a close with the American-led liberation of Kuwait on February 28, 1991. As a result of this conflict, an act of environmental terrorism known as the Gulf War oil spill or the Persian Gulf oil spill occurred in January of 1991 when Iraqi forces allegedly began dumping oil into the Persian Gulf to stop a U.S. coalition-led water landing on their shores. The damage done to the environment as a result is still debated today. I bet it's debated. And, you know, that's another strange thing that isn't for this episode. But consider this. If we pump oil out of the earth and the oil gets loose in the waters, is that actually pollution? I'm just asking. We know it kills things. We know it's inconvenient. But I'm just asking the question. But to get back to the point, this all occurred after I had joined the U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, If you go back and look at the claim of a 42 nation, you know, country coalition. It's almost laughable about what they're talking. Um, you know, I haven't looked in a long time, but it's like 11 guys from this place. And I mean, it's it's pretty laughable, but some pretty terrible things happened here. Uh, one of my friends who was in a comm unit actually had a camera because it wasn't that common to have cameras in places like that uh, when you were a Marine back then. Uh, And I saw a bit of video that was smuggled out. I saw what was called the highway to hell, which is an atrocity at a level that I can't even describe. Mile after mile of people in their vehicles trying to flee that were incendiary bombed. Uh, And I'm talking mopeds, VW, just everything. It's horrific. And we were actually threatened that if anyone knew where that clip that was getting passed around was, they were supposed to turn it in. But it was a whole thing. But one of the things that my buddy saw was uh, when the oil wells were lit. And that was a hell of a catastrophe. Uh, It turned all the days into night. There was this burnt oil residue landing on everything. It was really a horrible, horrible thing. But knowing what we didn't know then about the people who run 
our world is really who did do that. Um, you got to wonder. And of course, the uh, the people to put those fires out came in from places like Texas. But I have a feeling that if I could talk to someone in Kuwait and maybe someone listening, that they probably have a very different point of view out of the words Kuwait was liberated. I don't know that, but I surmise probably what I think, and I was in the Marine Corps and involved as all this happened, is that how the people that were there view it? But anyhow, yeah, there were some real, real terrible things done during this, and it didn't last very long. And and by the way, look at the dates, 90-91, you know, well, we'd had a decade where there weren't very many wars, time to change that. The World Wide Web, WWW, commonly known as the web, is an information system that enables information sharing over the internet through user-friendly ways, meant to appeal to users beyond IT specialists and hobbyists. It allows documents and other web resources to be accessed over the internet according to specific rules of the Hypertext Transfer Protocol, or HTTP. The official launch of the WWW is said to be August 6th, 1991, when the first website was introduced to the world. This first website contained information about the World Wide Web project. It launched at the European Organization for Nuclear Research, CERN, where it was created by British computer scientist Tim Berners-Lee. On it, people could find out how to create web pages and learn about hypertext, coded words or phrases that link to content. Interestingly, it is said that the basic applications and guidelines that make the internet possible had existed for almost two decades, but the network did not gain a public face until the 1990s. So, however, you know, this what you read is exactly what I was taught when I was going for my IT degree, and it was like the first one offered in this country. As a matter of fact, none of the professors knew anything about the so-called internet, they were pulled in from mostly multimedia to teach the course, one of the first ones offered. It was just starting to happen, but here it is. Uh, this is a line in the sand. As a result of the World Wide Web, there are going to be basically two histories for those of us that are around my age or alive on both sides of it. The old so-called analog age, and then what comes next. And they are two very, very different worlds. But it's interesting how kind of gradually it happened. I don't think if I look back and I'll ask Jason because, you know, he's high school age coming to be in the 90s, getting ready to get out of high school. What I recall was I had a buddy who was an early adopter of all things technical, whether it was things for his engine in his car or technical in general or a camera. And he first actually he came to live with me. It was 95 when I saw it. I think it was AOL. It was a system that you had to use a C prompt to get in, uh, but people didn't really openly make it common use of the internet from my point of view to roughly 96, 97. And even then, it wasn't a huge number of people. What do you remember, Jason? That's about right. I didn't really know what the internet was, although I had used it inadvertently when I was uh, in college, probably around 92 ish. I had gone to a, an HTTP with all the whatever they gave me to write down. I didn't know what it was at the time. I was just being told that a computer was communicating with another computer. But yeah, it wasn't until like the later half of the 90s that the internet in general started really becoming a thing with people. And AOL was definitely the big thing I started using probably like 99-ish, I would guess. Yeah, here's an interesting thing. Uh, when we ended up selling the house in San Diego, one of the guys who bought it was big into some kind of high-level technology. And I have my first computer system. And he actually wrote some hypertext and showed me. And he said, it's got to be a text file and you save it in a folder. And he wrote this code, hypertext, basically. And all of a sudden, a web page with an image that he had linked to. And I was like, wow, that's probably one of the reasons I went the direction I did. I'm not even kidding. But it was so kind of mind-blowing what I had just seen there. And it goes to show you, I don't feel like internet use was even starting to be like commonplace to the very end of the 90s. That's the way I remember it. The Cold War was a period of geopolitical tension between the United States and the Soviet Union and their respective allies, the Western Bloc and the Eastern Bloc. 
The term Cold War is used because there was no large-scale fighting directly between the two superpowers, but they each supported opposing sides in major regional conflicts known as proxy wars. The conflict was based on the ideological and geopolitical struggle for global influence by these two superpowers, following their roles as the allies of World War II that led to victory against Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan in 1945. Aside from the nuclear arms race and conventional military deployment, the struggle for dominance was expressed via indirect means, such as psychological warfare, propaganda campaigns, espionage, far-reaching embargoes, sports diplomacy, and technological competitions like the space race. The final aspects of the Cold War are considered to be completely over, which had started with the fall of the Berlin Wall and finishing with the dissolution of the Soviet Union on December 26th, 1991. What a Christmas present. So much we could say about this, but I think I'm going to say this thing that I saw broken down recently by a person who was looking at what clinically has been shown to be true of mental illness. In what I saw broken down using reports from clinical studies, he showed that if people can be made to make safety a primary concern in their life for a long period of time, that clinically it leads to certain types of mental health issues. But this is a prime example of the world we used to know. There always had to be an enemy. And this was covered in the guy who was going through the studies I'm talking about, where he showed that if a country can be convinced to look at another country with hatred and bigotry, that subconsciously that is reflecting back on themselves, because after all, the thing they're hating on is a human being. And the person doing the hating is a human being. And when you really look at what's gone on and the things that go on now, it blows my mind that we have not reached a point where we can begin to appreciate that one simple truth and quit hating on people because the news or a president or whoever in the hell it is in authority makes these claims and gives you reasons you should hate on them. The main point here is the Cold War was exactly that, and it lasted quite a long time. 1992 sees the Los Angeles riots occurring, also called the Rodney King riots, which was an uprising where a series of riots and civil disturbances occurred in Los Angeles County, California, during April and May of 1992. Unrest began in south-central Los Angeles on April 29th after a jury acquitted four officers of the Los Angeles Police Department charged with using excessive force in the arrest and beating of Rodney King. The incident had been videotaped by George Holliday, said to be a bystander to the incident, and was heavily broadcast in mainstream news and media outlets. Filming things and making it available before it's cool, before everyone has a video in their pocket. Uh, there was a point when I was going to go at the Rodney King thing, and I opted not to just because it was so far back. I didn't want to deal with all the backlash. But if you take a careful look at that video, I'm just saying. But I remember this oh so well. I had not been out of the Marine Corps that long. I had friends that bailed up in uh, this area to come back down and not even just exact area, just L.A. in general um, to come down. I had a friend come stay with me a while while this was going on, but it was nonstop on the news. This was another change point where things like this were going to be on the air in every home around the clock. And what do we say about the date? Well, it's two and a nine. There's your 9-11 idea, um, whether or not, and people ask me this all the time, whether or not it's planned. Well, I, I don't know. And if I did have a view, which I kind of do, um, proving it's a whole other thing The the real, you know, the proof in the pudding here is why can we do it so often? So even if it is simply linking to energies or cycles of whatever goes on in the world or whether someone's intentionally doing it, which I know some of it is, you can kind of demonstrate it. This was one of those events. It was intentional in its delivery. And that's about all I'm going to say, other than if you care to carefully take apart the video that supposedly started all this, I'm just saying. In 1993, 
Rhodes Scholar and well-known globalist William Jefferson Clinton becomes the 42nd President of the United States, lasting from 1993 until 2001. He is a member of the Democratic Party, previously serving as the governor of Arkansas from 1979 to 1981 and again from 1983 to 1992. Bill Clinton, whose policies reflected what is called a centrist third-way political philosophy, became known as a New Democrat, whatever that means. Bill Clinton is very much part of the New World Order power structure and is often seen with many other key globalist players. Yeah, show me show me a politician, either color, that isn't that, one that matters anyhow. This is the endless mind-warping of the red-blue mind virus. It blows my mind that people stay invested in this when you can basically, without effort, look back at when did we benefit? Show me the big, we got helped here. Someone looked out for us regularly doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it's always the opposite. There's always a problem. And as we've shown in our law episodes, you're not even considered an American anymore. You're basically an enemy combatant. And this has been demonstrated, whether or not you choose to accept it. So if I can know this, do you suppose the people who are serving as CEO of the corporation known as the United States know this? This mind virus has been among the most effective control mechanisms that I'm aware of. Also of note is Bill Clinton's vice president, Al Gore. Mr. Gore has long been outspoken about the make-believe narrative of global warming, which would conveniently become climate change. Of course, before Al Gore started his nonsense, this climate change was global cooling in the 1970s. By the 1980s, it was quite evident that global cooling was not occurring. During his time as vice president, he was able to use his position to enact policies and direct funding to ensure that the made-up climate change agenda was a top priority of the United States government. President Bill Clinton also made Al Gore the head of the President's Council on Sustainable Development, which was established in June of 1993 to advise the President on sustainable development and develop bold new approaches to achieve our economic, environmental, and equity goals. Al Gore has continued his table-thumping of man-made global climate change issues despite the majority of his science being utter poppycock. Poppycock? Why doesn't, if I'm not mistaken, Jason, isn't one of his early clips, he has like a man lift or something where the screen's not big enough to show how bad it is. So he gets a man lift or something and he gives a date, if I'm not mistaken, like if we don't do something by this, then too late. It's all going to hell. This has been done a number of times, by the way, but here's the problem with climate change. It's pretty clear that it's going to be used as a control mechanism. But the basic logic here is ridiculous. So if driving cars was one of the major problems, then how is it our fault for using them? We don't make them, and we sure as hell don't decide what makes them run. That would be major corporations. If it was truly a life or death problem, wouldn't you imagine that people in charge would say, look, this has got to change. We are creating a life or death problem. We need to get off the soil. We need to do these other things. But what actually happens is this problem is rolled out and then we are accused of being the problem. And this will play into the narrative of control if things continue down the path they are currently on with 15-minute cities, social ratings, and your ability to do almost anything. That will be what climate change is used for. Next, let's talk about the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. The official narrative says that this was a terrorist attack carried out on February 26, 1993, when a van bomb detonated below the North Tower of the World Trade Center complex in New York City. The 1,336-pound urea nitrate hydrogen gas enhanced device was intended to send the North Tower crashing into its twin, the South Tower, taking down both skyscrapers and killing tens of thousands of people. It failed to do so, but killed six people, including a pregnant woman, and caused over a thousand injuries. 
About 50,000 people were evacuated from the buildings that day. Why weren't 50,000 people evacuated on the other day? But I'm sure everyone remembers this. We had had a number of things. Now that the news is in a round-the-clock cycle, like the Oklahoma building thing, which is similar to this in a lot of ways. But these are the types of events that are starting to happen frequently at this time, and they're never going to stop. And the newly minted and anchored in place 24-7 news cycle is going to be the delivery method. And it is going to be so effective that it basically steers culture, government, damn near everything else for a very long period of time now, though I feel like a lot of people have gotten to the point where they realize the news isn't telling them news. Next, let's mention the Waco siege, also known as the Waco Massacre. The mainstream says that this was the siege by U.S. federal government and Texas state law enforcement officials of a compound belonging to the religious cult known as the Branch Davidians. This occurred between February 28th and April 19th, 1993. The Branch Davidians, led by David Koresh, were headquartered at Mount Carmel Center Ranch in the community of Axtell, Texas, 13 miles northeast of the town of Waco. Suspecting that the group was stockpiling illegal weapons, the Borough of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms obtained a search warrant for the compound and arrest warrants for Koresh and several of the group's members. Mass carnage and death ensued with the events of the siege and attack particularly the origin of the fire at the location, are disputed by various sources. You know, this is one of those things. And again, you know, look at these events. They're, they're so commonplace now that when we cover them, it doesn't even seem shocking to us. But this too was televised around the clock. And if you described what we were told was happening, basically military-like force was brought in there and a bunch of people were burned up, I think kids included. Events like this, to me, are to normalize and to instill the hopelessness and to instill that the powers that you contend against, if you have to contend with them, are overwhelming and you don't have a prayer. These feel like just a conscious warping of what people consider normal and what they expect to this other horrendous Example, the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA, was an agreement signed by Canada, Mexico, and the United States that created a trilateral trade bloc in North America. The agreement came into force on January 1, 1994, and superseded the 1988 Canada United States Free Trade Agreement between the United States and Canada. The NAFTA trade bloc formed one of the largest trade blocs in the world by gross domestic product. After U.S. President Donald Trump took office in January of 2017, he sought to replace NAFTA with a new agreement, beginning negotiations with Canada and Mexico. In September of 2018, the United States, Mexico, and Canada reached an agreement to replace NAFTA with the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement, and all three countries had ratified it by March of 2020. NAFTA remained in force until USMCA was implemented. In April 2020, Canada and Mexico notified the U.S. that they were ready to implement the agreement. The USMCA took effect on July 1, 2020, replacing NAFTA. The new law involved only small changes. Is the new boss the same as the old boss? Yeah, basically. Basically, you know, isn't it ironic that the trade agreement's little moniker is same as the Marine Corps with an A on the end? Is there anything military going on by what's happening here? But people can still go back and look up endless people stating that what was good for Detroit and the car industry was good for America. That narrative was so easily flipped and the dismantling of that powerhouse of American, you know, whatever you want to call it. An icon of America was so quickly flipped and dismantled, it makes your head spin. And this, all of this is part of the tail end of what Jason pointed out, started in the 70s, with his, which is wealth stripping. And we've now reached a point where everybody 
is under the gun for wealth stripping. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or, I mean, look at, look at ideas like very famous popular A-list actors taking the inoculation. You know, 20, 30 years ago, those people would have been mightily protected because of the money-making power they have. They're almost, they, well, they are an asset. Anything would be done to ensure nothing happens to this person. That's all out the window now. Now it's up to the individual and power and all the other things that used to keep you out of the frying pan. It's not working anymore. Now everybody is going to be exposed to the frying pan with very few exceptions. And this NAFTA thing, it's just more of the same. It's creating a system where wealth is going to be stripped and eventually here, and not even eventually, I'm told very quickly the digital money system is coming into play. If that happens without a hitch, there will be another shift in our world that makes the internet onset look like baby's play. In June of 1994, retired professional football star turned Hollywood actor O.J. Simpson was arrested and charged with the murders of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her friend Ronald Goldman, said to have occurred on June 12, 1994. Simpson would be acquitted after a long and internationally publicized trial that lasted 11 months from November 9, 1994 to October 3, 1995. However, he was found liable for the deaths three years later in a civil suit from the victims' families. To date, Simpson has paid little of the $33.5 million judgment, which is equivalent to $61 million in 2022. You want to talk about dividing a country. That was one of the side effects here. When did it begin? 11-9-94. What was the judgment? 33.5. Well, wait a minute. He, we all saw it on TV because for some reason, when people are butchered with a knife, that should be entertainment, right? We should put TV cameras in. That's what should be done when people are butchered with a knife. That's the way it works, right? That's normal. But the criminal court said he's not guilty. So what's the problem here? Well, not so fast. The civil court said guilty, guilty, guilty. There is no up. There is no down. There is no level. There are so many things manipulating society at large with things like this. And who can forget the car chase? You know, they broke into every television show that was going on and played that ad nauseum. But let me ask the simple question. When people are butchered with a knife, we should put TV cameras in the courtroom, right? That's normal. That's what we should do. Next, let's discuss the Oklahoma City bombing. The mainstream says that this was a domestic terrorist truck bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, on April 19, 1995, the second anniversary of the fiery end to the Waco siege. It is called the deadliest act of terrorism in U.S. history until the September 11th attacks in 2001 and remains the deadliest act of domestic terrorism in U.S. history and the second deadliest overall. What day did this happen? Oh, yeah, it's, it's 19th, right? should remember that. All this news nonstop, which we're all kind of used to, has changed what it means to live in this world. Back in the 70s, people treated each other with a lot more respect. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say individuals had a lot more respect for themselves. And the result of all this kind of hatred and fear and death, which is now commonly rolled out one after the other and broadcast over and over and over again, has had an effect. And if you go look at writings that have been done by places like Tavistock, you will see that it fits perfectly with the plan of how do we knock over a group of people and then control them. What more really needs to be said here? We have reached a point where if an event like this happened tomorrow, it wouldn't even be that shocking to us anymore because we've seen it so many times. The Clinton-Lewinsky scandal was a sex scandal involving Bill Clinton, the president of the United States, and Monica Lewinsky, a White House intern. Their sexual relationship began in 1995, 
when Clinton was 49 years old and Lewinsky was 22 years old and lasted 18 months, ending in 1997. Clinton ended a televised speech in late January 1998 with the later infamous statement, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. Further investigation led to charges of perjury and to the impeachment of Clinton in 1998 by the U.S. House of Representatives. He was subsequently acquitted on all impeachment charges of perjury and obstruction of justice in a 21-day U.S. Senate trial. All right, everyone listening, are you starting to catch on to a little bit of the differences between the 80s and the 90s? Even the top position of this country, which people used to respect, by the way, you go back to the days of Kennedy, and I'm not saying that he should have been respected or earned the respect. What I'm saying is that position was respected and a level of decorum was expected. And now all the way up here in the 90s, it might as well be Hustler magazine. And if you go back and look at some of the transcripts, it is indistinguishable from Hustler magazine. It is in your face, lurid, and it is from the highest office in our country. And this has an effect too, same as violence or supposed terrorism or any other thing. But Jason, when you think of the 80s, don't you notice that what we're talking about in these last few bullet points, that the news is getting to be very different, what's becoming commonplace now or is commonplace? Yeah, it's like they're ramping everything up to be more serious and things are just getting deadly, aren't they? And you can't count on anything. Not even the most trusted things we used to be able to count on can't count on it. And that's led to today where even the American dollar, that was a thing that was inassailable for most of my life. Now what is it? And this is the process. Slowly but surely, you're just taken to a point where fear and the inability to trust anything or the inability to expect or count on anything and the violence and the negative attitudes and the division of people and the bigotry and the hatred that is instilled in all the people who have not caught on to what's going on has made the world that I remember in the 70s and the world that I'm currently living in Cultures that are so far apart, it's almost hard to imagine that it's the same country. And the last point for hour one, Columbine High School was the site of one of the deadliest mass shootings in modern United States history, which is said to have occurred on April 20th, 1999. Senior students Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold are said to have opened fire, killing 12 students and a teacher and wounding 24 others, 21 of them by gunfire, before both are said to have committed suicide in the library. The incident, of course, made headlines both nationally and internationally, which made Columbine a household name. It also caused a moral panic in U.S. high schools. After the shooting, classes at Columbine were held at nearby Chatfield Senior High for the remaining three weeks of that school year. This is unacceptable. I'm pretty sure what we need to do here is we need to remove guns from everybody in the country. We're going to need to put metal detectors at every doorway. We're going to need smart ID. I'm, you know where I'm going here. And I'm not even going to waste my breath on this because if you're here listening to me, you should have a pretty good idea of what is meant by what Jason just read. What was the date? April 20. So that's four and two. That's a six. 19999. Oh, there's a Marty McFly 999. Go figure. All right. Well, that brings hour one to a close. We're going to take a short break here, prep up. And after we get done recording, I'm just going to turn things off and knock the internet down in my home just to opt out of the nonsense that I don't wish to support. But with that, Hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777 radio.com. Members know to log in for the full two-hour episode. They get access to all the forums, of which there are many, uh, to include making new forums, and comments under every episode. And the quite popular two-hour film, Shoot the Moon, is free to all members, covering all my telescope work, lunar waves, the sun we don't see, and just all the bizarre things that I shot night and day. Uh, Some of the things I shot around chemtrails are bizarre to say the least, 
With that, I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era, and we will come back to talk about what's basically a new world compared to the world that I knew when I was young. There it is, man. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing.